first day of Christmas. Oh, no, it's not the first day of Christmas, is it? It's the first of December. And Gig Stories listeners, Christmas is coming. Alex is getting fat. Christopher's recording this wearing a woolly hat. <laughs> it's all true. It's all true. Welcome to a slightly delayed episode of the Gig Stories podcast. And as I, as, or as, as we, dang it, I've given it away, who sent that message, as we put out on social media, both Chris and I were whisked off to Lapland uh, to help Father Christmas, which is sort of almost a true story. So apologies if you were waiting eagerly Monday morning for a new episode. Um, but here it is, better late than never. And boy, is it a cracker. I really, really enjoyed this chat. But first, I feel like, Chris, we have all kinds to catch up on because it seems like a while since we've uh, since we've spoken. Well, do you know what? It's, I think it's the first time that for an intro-outro recording that we do, mm. um, yeah. I've had to write things down because I don't want to forget anything. Oh, yeah, listeners, if any of you were... Under any illusion that there's any preparation put into this, um, no, Chris doesn't write a single thing. He doesn't need to because apparently I do all the talking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What's the point? What is the point? I, the only things I write down are like on an A4, just go, stop talking now, Alex. We, and then just we, show it to the screen. Stop talking now. As you know, we record this on Zoom and, and, you know, after episode number eight, see at the at the at the end of an interview, seeing Chris just slowly screw up his ball of paper and just throw it into the bin and stare into the distance and think, <laughs> maybe next episode I'll get to ask a question. I couldn't <laughs> I couldn't yeah. do that to him anymore. So um he's now allowed to ask two questions per interview. And then but... stare off into the middle distance. <laughs> Um, or nip to the loo yeah or you know that's been known or, or various things so yeah we have got loads now come on let's let's um let's stay on brand it's the gig stories podcast two or is it three mondays ago i and we witnessed what i think is one of the best performances by a band i've seen so chris and i were very lucky to be at the charlatans nhs gig in gorilla in manchester and i think you know better than me chris what would have been the few hundred two three hundred maybe maybe just over 300 but no not much more than that yeah so it was it's about the size of chris's living room um (laughs) (laughs) sorry it's the size of Lord Chris's uh, living room. Um, Which one? So Which it, one, Alex? <laughs> exactly. And I've seen the charlatans an awful lot over the years. And I, I flippantly on the night said, that's in my top three charlatans performances. But I said that because I didn't think about it. Because I'm actually trying to think, all right, where does that come? And it is absolutely up there. They were incredible and that the the atmosphere from them they were just smiling at each other really visibly enjoying it and 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 as for the set list oh my goodness me yeah 
It was Inc- knockout. It was. Well, it really was. Chris, you were you were shooting it, weren't you? How was it for the first few songs? Because there's great. no barrier. There's no barrier, is there? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. No. It was. It was great. It was great. And um, yeah, just kind of pootled around the front, and um, it was all. It was all kind of. It wasn't. You know, everyone crammed in. It didn't feel like that. No. Um, no. Um, NHS not. workers are very polite gig goers. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Although several of them were quite tall, I seem seem to remember they, they were quite tall. Um, like, oh, yes, he's, he's a biggin. Yes, um, and where did he stand? In front of you. In, exactly. Was... And you're not a biggin. No, I am not, or an NHS worker. So, no. I'll, I'll make do. So I've. I'm going to assume, Chris, that someone like, not someone like Tim Burgess, Tim Burgess, Tim Burgess is, he's a bit of a gift, isn't he, to photograph? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, it, it was it was only about five or six weeks ago that I photographed him at night and day doing his solo stuff. Sound check. The sound check, yeah, before the before the gig even started, I, I photographed yeah. the sound check. Um, but I've photographed. I mean, I've seen the charlatans a load of times, um, but I've photographed. I photographed Tim when his first solo album came out. I think it was his oh, first solo album. Yeah, so about twenty twenty fourteen, maybe early twenty fourteen, something like that. Okay. Um, and uh, that was at Band on the Wall. So that was, that was almost, I mean, that was comparable size, but it wasn't, you know, the charlatans. It was, it was Tim doing new stuff, um, you know, new solo stuff. And was it the um, Oh No, I Love You album? With the, the black him head and shoulders on the front? Yeah. Black and white. Was yeah. that 2014? No, no, no. That, that was uh, 2012 into into 2013 yeah it would have been 2012-ish okay well i only started photography in 2013 so um wow yeah so um, he was one of the first people you shot yeah yeah i didn't I, yeah I, I tended to photograph people at band on the wall because i knew uh, malcolm um at band on the wall and he said yeah come along and shoot shoot what you want so I, I oh mal and... malk the big m yeah mal the big m. yeah oh, yeah <laughs> um oh we should get malcolm duffin on actually he's great oh i bet he's seen some gigs definitely um so yeah so i i photographed um loads of stuff and from jazz to folk to um the magic band you know the um, yeah yeah, so photographed them and um, Sam Lee, um, folk musician, and uh, some some jazz dudes and um, and yeah. Tim Burgess and Tim Burgess, yeah. And so in that one, he he absolutely locked eyes with my camera, and I got a, a really lovely shot, one which I really like, um, of him just looking straight down the barrel. Um, oh, and he's done you that. Show us that one. Can you show us that one? Yeah, I will. I will pop it on the, the the website. Actually, I just got a print of it um, delivered today. Um, uh, I, I ordered a few prints because um, I am <laughs> shameless plug. I am selling prints of my my work. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Check out Chris's. Just remind us of the website. I'm no shame. Yeah, uh, yeah absolutely. Yeah, ChrisPayneImages.co.uk. 
Uh, but yeah, the next time I photographed charlatans was at the Apollo. Um, and again, he'd look straight down the camera. And it's just nice when when musicians do that, they acknowledge the presence of a, a photographer. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I like that. And and like I said in a previous podcast, um, when when I was at Night and Day, he did, you know, kind of look at me as I started photographing and, and gives a big smile and just kind of That's went, good. yep, it's cool, it's fine. And um, yeah, it was just just nice. Yeah, he's yeah, I, yeah, he's he's good to shoot, and he was he was really on form. I mean, they they all were. For for those of you who are Charlatans fans, have a look at Tim's Twitter because he's been posting the set lists from this tour, and it is breathtaking. Now they've always been good but they are pulling it out of the bag and they are playing some stuff they haven't played for a long time. You know, Jesus hairdo is coming out. Um, Haven't they? I think they've played can't get out of bed on this tour. Yeah. Yeah. I noticed that. Um, But for me, and this is, uh, we've mentioned this maybe a few times and I think it'll, it's going to be a a question that will come up more because I like it. I love the start of gigs and they are back to, I say back, they've started playing forever as the, as the opener and, oh, what a start to a gig. Um, an evening gorilla was very small. The band come on, not Tim, still fairly dark. And then you just hear, Martin's dun, 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 oh, it's just incredible. And then Tim wanders on and poof, it's into forever. It's just they're a, a phenomenal band. Yeah, and again, I'd I'd like the music that plays before the band even gets on as well. So I felt mm. I mean, so what one of the pieces of music, again, this will probably have been I know we talked about this um just before Ren Harview's interview. No, it was about, we were talking about the Ren Harview gig that I went to see. Oh, right, yes. And talking about the music that played before. Um, Oddly enough, that was Gorilla as well. Um, But a theme from Cinema Paradiso played. Yes. um, Before they came on, it was maybe about four or five tunes before they came on. But yeah, it was just lovely. It just kind of got, got the crowd into kind of really, it was a nice warm buzz. I think that, yeah. that that piece of music. I mean, it's such a lovely piece of music, anyway. It is but, fabulous. Um, they're still they're still on tour for probably nearly two weeks, week and a half. Yeah, there's not many there's not many dates that actually have tickets. I'm not actually I'm not even sure if there are tickets available. But no. if the Charlatans are nearby, you should go and see them. Do you yeah. know what? I'm going to spoil a surprise here, Chris. I wasn't going to tell you this. I was going to surprise you, but um, and and it is Charlatans related. I'm going to be ticking a box next week that I didn't really know I want. I needed ticking. Okay. So my friend and friend of the pod uh, and watch this space, listeners, Martin Carr, mm-hmm. ex-Boo Radleys, he is supporting the charlatans. So if you are going to see them, make sure you get there early and see Martin because he's fantastic. Mm. They are playing Liverpool next week and I am trekking over to Liverpool to see Martin uh, and give him, give him a massive hug and uh, enjoy 
that smile of his. He's a he's a beaut. And I am going to be on his merch stand. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Oh, are you going to be there with a Sharpie signing everything? <laughs> signing all the singles with love, Alex Winters. <laughs> Who do you want this to? Who do you want this made out to? <laughs> Can you imagine that? Oh, that's hilarious. For any any parents listening who are my CBBC era, this is random, but I once signed an autograph as Mr. Maker. <laughs> they, they they bombarded me, this this family, for a picture and, and thought I was Mr. Maker and did not give me the chance to say I am not. And then for some reason, when they gave me something to sign, I actually signed it as Mr. Maker. But anyway, wow. so... If you are going to the Liverpool gig next week, the charlatans, the charlatans, please come to the merch stand and um, and make my day because I am going to be selling merch, Martin Carr's merch. Bring your own Mr. Tumble T-shirts and Alex will sign them. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I used to I, I used to think that I'd go to gigs all the time and I just thought I want to be the merch guy. I would love to go on tour with a band, sell the merch. What a job. And what a job. Here you are. I know. Wow. And I'm going to do it for one night only. On the pavement outside with your with your posters. <laughs> well, anything we don't sell inside, got to get rid of. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so we've just talked about um, Tim and uh, Tim Burgess, and we need to kind of stop talking about Tim because we will talk about Tim after this episode so yes we will yes yeah. more exciting so news hold that thought now haven't haven't we had another live gig as well 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 it seems like years ago but we yeah. did uh an episode with the lovely james atkin from emf the mighty emf oh. Yeah. And I, I'd I'd love to be really excited and build this bit up. Hooray! Hooray! Hey. I'm so excited for you, Chris. So so excited about this next bit. Um, but uh, yeah, in that episode, at the end of the episode, James talked about this kind of low key gig that they were going to do at Topmorden in a small yeah. venue, a pub called yeah. Golden Lion in Topmorden. Yes, and yes. tiny tiny venue, isn't it? Tiny yeah, venue. Tiny venue. I mean, it's yeah. it's probably never going to happen again, this kind of gig. Nope. Uh, no, really. and, and he invited us both. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yes, he did. And we were both yes, very excited did. about going. Yes, we were. Yeah. Yes, we were. Um, and, and did we both go? Did you enjoy the night, Chris? It was absolutely brilliant. I loved it. Loved it. And I had, uh, thank you for asking, I had a lovely night at my daughter's dance show and I cried and it was beautiful and wonderful. Well, to be honest, I did I did mention this to Ian and James. I, I gave your apologies and, uh, but also it was lovely because I texted you during and you said, it's fantastic, I'm really enjoying this. And I thought it was just so lovely. It was so lovely because, you know, you could have been that bad dad who goes, oh, I can't believe I'm here. 
oh, I'm I'm watching ballet or something, and and I should be at EMF in a small venue. But actually, you were <laughs> you were a very very cool dad, and you were like, this is actually really good. So what did I actually play. say? <laughs> I can't. I can't remember. I'm not going to drag that up. But you know, you did. You 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 were very cool about it. Um, I, I yeah. I don't have to lie. It, it, no. it it's been two years since she's been able to do, and and it makes my day watching her dance. But yeah. judge me all you want. A part of me wanted to be in Todmorden at that EMF gig. Well, I did. I brought something back. I brought something back. Stick a rock. No. Oh, not the uh, rash. Got that no, rash again. No, oh. no, I brought back an interview with Ian and James. Here it is. So I'm here with James and Ian from EMF. And uh, yeah, it's a uh, first one back. Is, uh, oh, yeah. First one. This is the first one since, since total lockdown. Yeah, this is the first one for two years. I think we played in Tipperary in 2019 and that was the last gig we played so how have you prepped for this one then what's the what's been the process has it been different to previous tours or i guess in the past we were sort of like oh we know how to do this and we, we would turn up so it's been so long we decided to get together at james's house and and have a rest and we had such a great day just to hang out a bit play through the set and, and fine-tune a few things that, that probably needed fine-tuning yeah. over the last couple of years and, and probably because we were a bit rusty as well and, yeah. and we, we had a great day, right, James? It was fantastic, yeah. It was more a sort of rebonding than a rehearsal, I would say. Um, I mean, it was great playing through the tunes, but just getting the equipment out, dusting off the amps and just having a blast through, I think it did us the world of good. Yeah. And just, you know, for us to remember that we can still do it. Um, and we are prepared now. Well, I was going to say, because we are in the Golden Lion in uh, Todmorden. And so this is a, a, a warm-up gig, essentially. So you, you're down to London. When's, when's the gig in London? Uh, London is on the 10th of December. Yeah. So this is a warm-up, although... I haven't really thought of it as a warm-up. It just seems like a, a standalone gig because it's such an amazing venue and everyone's raves about it. For as long as... When I moved up to the north, everyone said, you've got to go to this venue in Toddington. It's, like, legendary. And even people from London were going, oh, my God, I've gone up to Toddington. It's mental. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's been one we've been wanting to do and this seemed like a perfect opportunity. Yeah. Well, it's, it's the first time I've been here and I can't believe I've not been here before because 20 minutes on the train from Manchester... And it's basically you to fall out the the train and you're in the pub. Basically, it's fantastic. So, um, how how did the sound check go? <laughs> it really good. It's a it's a tiny venue, and I think because of that, the sound is really good. It's it's not like one of those huge halls where the sound echoes around and you can't hear anything. It's got a really tight sound. They the people here know exactly what they're doing. They 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 were really great. They knew way around the system and, and set us up really well. They are lovely. I mean, just kind of just say everybody up north seems to be friendly and like they want to look after us and check everything's okay and they keep like you know if you've got everything you need and and uh, and it just seems like a really good vibe and 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 then uh, um, and then uh, you know we were just chatting to some of the, the fans out there that you know haven't been here for a while and it's just a lot of people. I've just have been like I haven't seen you for ages, but I'm so happy to be here. And and uh, there's a couple down there who met at our Guildhall gig, and they they came in earlier and they bought their five year old son, and so, and they, and he was like you know George, 
um, wouldn't be here if it wasn't thanks to you. And we're like, whoa, that's amazing. Wow. And, uh, and some other people, there was a car, I just met another girl downstairs who was like on our first uh, Schubert dip tour. She had one of the lanyards. From the, oh, from the she first. showed me that. She says, yeah. remember this? I was kind of looking a bit blurred. It was blue. <laughs> 1991. Really. So, so you're going you're gonna to dedicate children to them? Yeah. That was a good idea, actually. Um, and so for a gig this size, in a venue of this size, do you approach it in a, a different way or is it just no prisoners as, as normal? Um, that's a tricky one. I think we always approach gigs the same way whatever it is it always seems like we're going out to battle um, yeah honestly it does like having that mentality of just throwing yourself at the audience not like physically but you know just you know projecting yourself and just trying to grab them and make that connection um, I think it's easier in a smaller place and obviously you know if you got right on top of every, everyone and uh, yeah I think I think it's going to be quite easy tonight I'm not too nervous about tonight I've got a bit of anxiety but I'm not nervous I think it's going to be great yeah, a bit of anxiety is nice, yeah. isn't it? Because you yeah, want to be, it, it makes, you know, it's because we care and because it's always special, you know, like it was get a little bit like, you know, is it? Yeah, well, I, I, that that phrase take no taking no prisoners just popped into my head but obviously there was some kind of subconscious thought there and then you saying going into battle yeah well you want to give people a, a really good night and put some effort into it and show people your passion and your love for it and you know that's what people want i think yeah. we could play it cool but i don't know too old to play cool these days, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> no. Just like, let's fucking go and have a good time and just you're still, love it. You're still... <laughs> Brilliant. James, you're still the coolest <laughs> oh, please. person please. in the universe. And just one last question before you go and get get ready, get your makeup on. Mm. Um, plans for 2022, have you got anything lined up? There, anything are, up some, to... there are dates coming in, um, festivals, we're kind of quite choosy, we don't go out and play that often. We like to do things that are interesting to us. And special, so we have got big plans. We've got some very big plans. We're hoping to get some new material out there, and obviously gigs to support the new material. Yeah. And a couple of good festivals. Still like to do some travel abroad. I don't know how that's looking for next year. Yeah. Everything's been on hold. We had some interesting dates that obviously got cancelled when the first lockdown happened. So I'd like to get back out and do a few things. I think it's going to be a good year. Brilliant. It's been like, you know, it's been a tough two, three years, so it's going to be great to get back out there. Bit of normality, maybe. Yeah, but who needs normality, yeah? Exactly. Yes. Well, thank you, James and Ian. That was, that was absolutely thanks, wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, thanks, Chris. Oh, my gosh, that was brilliant. Ah, you beauties. That was, that was really good of them to uh, take a few minutes out to chat as well. Hmm. And how did the gig because that was obviously uh before the gig how did it go it went off it, it was great it was really good um yeah loads of really diehard emf fans and also i get the impression that a lot of the people who were there were just diehard music fans who just went to everything that was on at the golden lion and if you really? haven't been to the yeah if you haven't as i mentioned in that interview if you haven't been to the golden lion before it's about 20 minutes train journey from uh, manchester victoria station uh, and as again as i said you can it's fall, only 20 minutes 20 minutes you fall out the train and you're in the pub it's ridiculously close 
it's so it's so fantastic and <laughs> alex's face what time did they come, what time did they come on stage they came on about it was just after 10 o'clock oh oh his face oh his little face um yeah so it was around just after 10 o'clock um but yeah, it was it was great. But the the stage, you know, it had a bookcase on the stage, um, <laughs> and um, yeah, it's hardly and, a stage, isn't it? Isn't it like a foot it's, high or something? Yeah, it's about a foot high, and I was <laughs> literally just there. I just had to have my wide angle lens, and basically James was right in front of me. Um, but um, yeah, it was knockout, and and yeah, the the place was jumping. So it, did did everyone get into it? Did all yeah. what, you know? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's but I mean, and they they played um, unbelievable very early on. I mean, they they played that about seven tunes in. Okay, um, which was surprising, but yeah, but that's I think, good. that's good though. No, I like that. I like that, and also um, I think they they realised that they had a captive audience and that people weren't just waiting to hear unbelievable they were yeah. waiting to hear the band you know and um just Good enjoy on, the whole thing so because i am i asked that because i i am enjoying as i grow older and at the age of 44 and apparently going to more gigs than ever i'm enjoying watching my peers and how they act at gigs because it's so funny now because well you've been to many gigs with me if i want to dance i'll dance i have no whatever I, I just love it talent for dancing no talent for dancing <laughs> at all and i really don't care you have moment. actually got some moves i don't and um it is funny to me watching though people thinking am i too old for this should i be doing this oh yeah so it does make ah you say that and but i'm all right with with the people that don't and there are you know our peers who don't as well, but it is funny seeing that, seeing that sort of split and seeing that sort of uh, our age group now going, cool, we're in our forties now. What do, what is the etiquette at a gig? Yeah. But it was, uh, they, they were loving it at the Charlatans and it sounds like they were loving it at, at EMF too. So what, uh, I've just said I'm off to see, I suppose, yeah, I'm off to see the Charlatans again next week, but, um, uh, go and see Martin, so I'm excited about that. I've also got, um, I've got two nights out. Can you imagine in a row, Chris? Wow. Wednesday is Martin and the Charlatans. Mm -hmm. Tuesday, one of my favourite venues, the Albert Hall in Manchester. It's Little Sims. Oh, it's coming up right. Okay. Yes. Oh, now, now that'll be interesting to see how this middle-aged white man acts at a little sims gig <laughs> mm -hmm. but it's i just don't know am i gonna lose my head am i gonna just get down there with the kids and get dancing i just don't know i might get thrown out arrested all of the above to be honest chris just be yourself in which case you probably will get thrown out and arrested <laughs> <laughs> exactly bring on little sims yeah. and if you don't know little sims go and listen she is just incredible yeah, and one of my favorite out. albums of the year yeah. so 
we've got a guest. We've got a guest now. Yeah, we I, have. I'm I'm so chuffed about this guest um, because it's just really interesting fella, and I've known him for um, <laughs> known him for a little while, haven't you? Yeah, about 20, 23 years, basically. Twenty three yeah. years. Twenty three years. Yeah. So it's my father in law. It's Mister Howard bum, bum, Murray. Bum, 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 bum. Howard Murray. Tell. Tell us a, a, a bit about, or not ask the listeners, tell tell the listeners a little bit, just a little bit, because we talk, he explains quite a bit. But tell us why we've got your father-in-law on. Well, he's been playing music professionally since 1959. And he's a cracking player, a really, really superb sax player. And um, I've had the, the pleasure of um, sitting in playing playing saxophone in in his band um two or three times no more than that more than that um but every time i, I play with him it's it, it's just, uh, you know you learn from somebody who's so good um yeah he's just knockout um really and yeah we 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 have a we have a great chat about his influences and the the music that he loved when he was when he was growing up and and learning about music and um yeah and and also it's about a, a time when music was really changing when jazz was being overtaken by rock and roll um so mm. the, the start, end of the 50s start of the 60s so um and it's not something that we've really talked about we talked about it a little bit in um dennis lawson's episode when we talked about yeah. you know kind of the birth of the teenager and that kind of thing but um howard's a little bit older than the than dennis and um kind of was was there you know as a as a performing musician at that at that time as well so uh, we get that kind of perspective um and it's fun and listening back when i was editing it it was it was just funny it's just really funny really- it just I really, really enjoyed this, and I think um, this is important to our podcast um, that it's not just people you may have heard of. You know, some of our most enjoyable chats have been with uh, with people that you perhaps haven't. You know, like Sophie Williams and uh, Anna Doble, and now Howard Murray. I, well, you know, I just love speaking to people. <clears throat> I would sit on a bus or a tram all day and just chat to people. I genuinely love it. And so only knowing him as your father-in-law and nothing else was just perfect for me because I just had question after question after question. And I'm sorry if the edit was a nightmare, but it was just so interesting. And I just love hearing people's experiences and specifically you know, their experiences with music and, and hearing their knowledge and sharing that knowledge. So I just, I really, really enjoyed this chat. And I, I think you're all going to uh, love it too. And and soon you'll be, you'll be begging Howard to come and play at your weddings, birthdays, bar mitzvahs, dare I say it, funerals. Um, <laughs> so without further ado, Chris, I think you should introduce the man himself. Go on. He's Howard Murray. Yes, well done. You did well. He'd be so proud of you. You're his favourite son-in-law. 
and welcome to this episode of Gig Stories podcast with me, Chris. And me, Alex. This is an exciting one, isn't it, Chris? Yeah. We are sat around a table together. Can you believe it? Yeah, there's no... Well, there are computer screens around, but, um, <laughs> but we are in my dining room. We're in the parlour. Is it a parlour or a dining room? Used to room? be parlour. Yeah. Um, with, with my father-in-law. Um, Howard Murray, who has oh, been playing. <laughs> Did you forget? You tried to forget. The look on Howard's face then when he thought, who? Father-in-law? Chris's father-in-law's here. Oh yeah, of course I am. I've not met him. But this is, this is great though, because it sounds like utter nepotism, but actually I think it's just lucky chance. Um... Welcome, Howard. Thank you. And uh, Howard is a, a, a Salford lad, but has... Swinton. So, oh, Swi- Swinton. 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 Yeah. No, Swinton is in Salford, though, isn't it? No, in the city of Salford? No, it's, in, it's the next borough to it. But it's all part of the um, great um, metropolitan district of Salford. Right. The whole lot. There's, yeah. there's so many boroughs in Manchester. It, yeah. it blows my mind. It's not like any other, uh, any other place. The city used to be in Lancashire. Oh my gosh! Well, I, I'm, I'm I'm new to here, so that's that's my excuse. I'm new to here. But as a result, Lancashire cricket ground is not in Lancashire. No, it's not, is it? No. <laughs> Which, but it used to be. That's a, that's another podcast. That's a cricketing <laughs> podcast with Greg James and uh, Jimmy Anderson. That, but we are we're excited to have you with us, Howard, um, because you have spent most of your life. And I, I don't want to reveal your age. If you'd like to say 80, your age, eighty-two. Oh, there we go. Uh, that's right, eighty-two. Um, playing, uh, playing various instruments. Mm-hmm. Mainly reeds. Mainly reed instruments, and you have a plethora of experience <laughs> of live music. Is that right, Howard? Well, <laughs> uh, twenty nineteen would have been the sixtieth anniversary of that photograph. So Howard is showing us a, a photograph and you have got a fabulous head of hair. Yes. <laughs> now, it, for, for our listeners, explain this photograph that Chris and I are looking at, Howard. Well, it was put together a band on New Year's Eve uh, with two people I already knew and I think another two I didn't know completely, unrehearsed, didn't know what to expect. And when would they, what year would this Nin- have been? 1959. So 1959, and we've got, we've got a guitar, you're playing clarinet, is yeah. that uh, correct? We've got a trombone, a drummer, and uh, a pianist. And this was, this was the first time you'd played in a band, and it was for New Year's Eve? In, in public, yeah. I'd played with knocked together bands for hobbies, but for the first time I actually got a job. I was an apprentice television engineer at the time, oh, and I got nearly a week's wages for doing that. For doing that one gig? Yeah. Well, we've got the uh, the venue, so it's the, the TA Barracks Hall, so the Territorial Army Barracks Hall in Wally Range, yeah. in Manchester. So on guitar we had Alan Yates, Malcolm Ferrari on drums. What's the name? Malcolm Ferrari. Yeah. And also name? Mike Medina Ooh. on piano. Then on trombone we've got Howard Burrows and on clarinet Mr Howard Murray. So that mm-hmm. was New Year's Eve 1959. Yeah. Wow. Seeing in 1960. You yeah. were seeing out the 50s yes. and bringing in the 60s with that. So let, I want to build up to there then Howard. 
Um, let's go back because you're a multi instrumentalist. Yeah. You ju just just tell me. You say read, and that's just too humble for me. I would be more uh, concise. What instruments do you play? Clarinet. Yeah. And the whole family of saxophones. Right. Alto, soprano, alto, tenor, baritone. Okay. And and how did how did that come about in the in the forties? Because you you were a little boy growing up in the forties. Born in thirty nine, just after Hitler started getting busy. Yeah. <laughs> December thirty-nine. And was can you remember much of those first six years of your oh, life? Oh yeah, very clearly. Well certainly by the time I got to school. Right, okay. Um, I remember my brother being born, he was three years young he is three years younger than I am. So I must have been three and I clearly remember him being being born. Was because I I don't want to sort of get into the war and how it was for you. More, I'd like to ask the question: Was music an important distraction? Very much you? so, because my mother was a professional pianist. Oh, your mum was a professional yeah. pianist. Well, semi-professional, I should yeah. say. Yeah, she played for dances and weddings and the like. So I was exposed to music very early on. So what what would she have What would she have been playing? Piano. Okay, but what yeah. kind of music Dance, would you have? Would what, you have heard? Ballroom dancing type. Ballroom dancing. What they call strictly now. <laughs> yeah, Strictly Country And do you know dancing. why it's called Strictly? Because no. uh, the main dance band of the time called it Strict Tempo dan Dancing. That's strict Tempo Dancing? Yeah. And that's why, it's, that's why that's it became really Strictly. So they couldn't mess about with the tempo because that would screw up the dancers. Yes. They would be yeah. all, all the I can remember his name at the moment, but uh, his well, signature tune was You're Dancing on My Heart. Remember that? Can't think, of his pink, can't think of his name. Yeah. And so, it is is the first music you remember in your life? You hearing your mum play at home? Well, radio. Radio was very popular. No yeah. TV, of course. Yeah. So, uh, oh, yeah, there was plenty of music in the house. So, what, what venues was well Nan played? What you, your mum? Where was she? Where was she? They would be church halls when when there was a wedding, and then they all went into the church hall. For the reception, she'd play for those. Yeah. Or people who held once a week dance night. Yeah. In this probably in the same places. And would they would they always be? This is such a. Uh, this may come across really ignorant, and I, I don't mean that at all. Would were there a lot of sort of um, event bands? Oh yes, yes. Uh, at, that that yeah. sort of local that would be doing the rounds and that were paid for it. Oh as well. yes, indeed, semi-pro dance bands. Lots. But would there have been many featuring women? Possibly on piano. It's always the thing that uh, girls were taught the piano and, and boys might have been taught a, a woodwind of some sort. Right. But yeah, I, I would have thought that, that that would have been quite rare in terms of playing professionally. Yeah. Good, good in point. the event of these, <laughs> these gigs, as we now call them, uh, the drummer used to turn up with his kit on a handcart. <laughs> really? Well, nobody had a car. I mean, we're talking about 20s or 30s, you know. Yeah. Do you know what? Talk about practicalities. Yeah, that's never crossed my mind. How did the drummer get his kit around? And he would just pull it around on a cart? Well, I know a fr friend of Howard's, who you've known since the 50s, yeah. uh, Mo Green, yeah. drummer. Well, you, you tell a story, because well, I've heard... He and, by the time I got to know him, we'd already got cars, so what, what he did before a car, I don't know, did he... he he, he, oh, he, pushed, he pushed his oh. drum kit in a pram. 
Oh, that was it. To yeah. gigs. Brilliant. Yeah. yeah, so he had this, um, oh, I forgot, it, it was known as the Rolls Royce of, of Prams. Oh, really sturdy. Gold, Silver Cross. Silver Cross, that's oh, the one. Oh, Silver Cross yeah. Pram. Yeah. yeah. And so he said that the, um, the bass drum fitted absolutely perfectly where the baby should be. Yeah. And then he could get cymbals down the sides. Yeah. And then he could get the snare underneath. <laughs> And I think he maybe only had one tom as well. And so he managed to get... Take a skeleton kit out. Yeah, know. just a skeleton kit. And um, But he would fit it all in the, the pram. So I've taken a portrait of him with a drum kit and a pram. <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah. But, yeah, transport. So you must have had... Before, what, what did you do before you had a car? Or were you... Oh, I had a... a, a, a Scooter, I can't think of what type of Not the best, but the other one. The kind of Lambretta? Lambretta. Oh, All right, okay. And uh, <laughs> one day I'd had some trouble with the engine and I'd left the panel off one side and we went out to the bike. Now, you've got to believe this, I had a saxophone case between my knees on the platform, <laughs> clarinet on, under my foot and my left foot yeah. on, the, on the platform. And on the back I had the trombone player <laughs> with, the, with the trombone under one arm and a bag of mutes under the other. <laughs> I haven't finished. <laughs> on the back right was an amplifier and a speaker. What? How did they even move? <laughs> anyway, I'd, Very slowly. On this occasion, uh, I'd forgotten, to, I'd deliberately left the panel off and it, somehow a spark plug just blew out. It was a hell of a bang. No. That night, Howard the trombonist had forgotten to bring his bag of mutes and he had his trombone under his left arm where it would normally have been under his right arm. Yes. And the plug would have gone right through the trombone if it had been there. <laughs> <laughs> and he couldn't find it anywhere. So I chugged, still moving, chugged it to right into a petrol station. To a petrol station. Bought a spark plug, screwed it in. <laughs> kicked it up and drove off again. That is absolutely wow. brilliant. That's, that's quite different to how they get around for gigs these oh, days. Yeah. Now, but back then, it was, um, you, you know, music was, uh, was really important to the working classes. And I remember my dad telling me, he's, my dad would be a couple of years older than you. He'd be 80, 84 now. And he played in a skiffle band. And he grew, up, later. Yeah. he grew up in the docks. My father spent his life on the docks. Oh, really? Yeah. And and we get to know each other. We'll be, be related in a minute. Oh, yeah. That that would be very Celtic. That wouldn't it? Would yeah. related. That would be very difficult. And he would always, you know, tell me about about his music and and how it was an outlet. What instruments were they hard to get hold of, and were no, they expensive? No, no. Well. I know my pa paid for my first clarinet, and it seemed a lot of money at the time. It was a second thousand a used one, twenty-one pounds, but that was three weeks' wages. Wowzers! So it cost him a lot. He invested in my future. You know. And so that so they to play a musical instrument back then from you know from the working classes, it, it did require a lot of sacrifice. Indeed, uh, but then instruments were handed down. Oh, okay. And of, of course. course, if you're a brass player and joined a brass band, very often you would get an instrument that belonged to the band, mm. right, which made it made life easier. I was never in brass bands playing reeds, but it made life a bit easier than you think it was. 
So what was your what was your sort of musical journey then? Because because we're in sort of brass band countries. So yeah. you, you avoided that in school. Well, did you, you don't did... play. They don't have clarinets in in brass bands. It's all it's all brass. Ah, right. Of yeah. course, of course. Yeah. So what made you choose reeds then? What was, well, what was where were the go back before that? At the age of eight, we had a sudden test in the class at school a music test mm. unwarned we weren't prepared and it had two things in it once you played the scale on the piano and we knew tonic so far yeah you know tonic so far do re mi fa so what yes it? yes we knew that and so, so she played a scale and she said that right this is do played it and then she'd play another note we had to guess what identify it and by, it. by saying Ray, me, or, or, or whatever Ray, it was, yeah. and oh, I went wow. through. I went through this easy peasy. I didn't know I'd got an ear like I clearly have. Mm. And then she had a rhythm test with a rule, and she went, "What tune was that?" She said, "I said Jingle Bells." So I passed. Yeah. So, that is so funny. That led on to, to record the lessons. That what she was doing. This I say she was a man at that, that stage. And what he was doing was sorting out people who might be suitable to have to form a recorder class. Yeah. So perhaps handful of us went into it, and I really took to it. I played in school concerts on the recorder. And do you, do you think that? Do you think that came from your mum and from, oh, from you hearing the musical you know, aspect came from music? Your mother, yeah. Okay. Anyway, as we get to towards eleven plus, which you had to take in those days to get to grammar school, I'd clearly taken to it. And the music teacher said to my father, "Oh, my father must have asked what follows, what, what main instrument would follow a recorder." The bloke said, "Without a doubt, the clarinet is directly related. Same, you know, same, everything going on." Mm. So they said, right, well, if you pass your 11 plus, plus, we'll buy you a clarinet. So really? I did, but they said, well, we're going to buy you one anyway. <laughs> <laughs> they told you that after you'd passed on. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. When, can you remember when you fell in love with, uh, with music and with instruments? I can't remember ever not being able to play. Really? Well, I mean, it's eight. Uh, yeah. You've been playing all your life. Playing... Uh, right through, so I can't. I can't now remember what it's like to be unable to play an instrument. And so, uh, back then, so now, for example, my my son plays the drums, and he wants to play in a you know in a band, and, and Get him that be his yeah. job. Back then, was it realistic for a, a young lad or a young lady to want to to be a professional musician, or was it? Was that supposed to just be a hobby? Yes, I think at that stage for me it was an interest, and and my mother said I never had to, I was never forced to practice. I just used to go in the bedroom and play. She not, not a case of come do you practice? I never she never had to tell me that. It was right, a major interest. Yeah. So uh, I went through school playing in school orchestra and a bit of a band in the school. Yeah. You're not really thinking I would uh, do it for a, for a living. Yeah. And of course, after I was about, I'd be about 19, and I bumped into this Howard on the on the picture. Howard Burrows. Burrows uh, in Piccadilly bus station, which uh, he was going one way and I was going another. I'd known him for 
for some time. He said, are you doing anything New Year's Eve? I said, no, I'm not. He said, right, bring your clarinet. And, and it was that, that gig in that picture, New Year's Eve. What, can you remember what music you were playing? Well, a mixture of dance music and probably Dixieland jazz. Dixieland yeah. jazz, okay. But really I was learning it. I mean, I learned my profession on the stage while we are doing it. Yeah. You know what I mean? You go up there and do it, and you don't do it very well. And next time you do a little bit better. Yeah. And then you you get to the stage where you wonder what tunes you can play next because they're bringing stuff up you don't know. Then you realise you've got you're going to have to know it until you learn it, and it just unravels slowly. You don't know you you don't, don't realise it's happening. It's just so that, experience. So that gig then was really quite seminal for you, it was really quite important oh, for you. Oh, indeed, yes. I didn't know what I was going to play when I got, until I got there. Oh, on that night, you didn't even no, know what you were going to play? No, and in fact, when you're playing one tune, you don't know what you're going to be playing next, because the band leader calls something out, and... Yeah. I, I see, I don't, I don't understand yeah. that. I, I just, <laughs> that just blows my mind. Well, that the that repertoire was... is, is such an important thing, it's almost as important as learning to play the instrument oh, itself yes. yeah. because then you have got this jukebox essentially yeah. in, within yeah. yourself yeah, to well, be able to go right we're going to do this and we're going to do it in this key and but what if he what if he called out on that first gig then that night what if he called out a song that you didn't know then i would have said oh i don't know that oh you would have you were allowed yeah. to. oh yes but later in life when i've come to grips with the construction of tunes I say I don't know it, but play it, otherwise I'll never know it. And then I could unravel from the way the tune was constructed, how to, what was coming up next. Because they're much of a muchness, some of these tunes. And I suppose with Dixieland as well, there's an element of, certainly with what the clarinet is doing, the clarinet yeah. is generally augmenting whatever, so you're, you're playing death. around the melody. Yeah, death counts, yeah. Yeah, yeah, rather than actually yeah. playing the tune. Yeah. Um, so, so there is a kind of in there. Oh, um, indeed. If you don't know the tune, you probably know the chord sequence, for example. Later? Yeah. But at that stage, I didn't know the chords were involved. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was just ears, but I gradually became aware that the chord system has a construction and yeah. a structure. So that was your first gig. What do you remember the first gig that you actually went to as a, as a punter to go and see? Oh, no. Went to so, went so many. Um, when did you start going to going to them? Was it before this New Year's Eve gig, or no, was it in the sixties? So in the sixties, once I got into the business, right. I started going around listening to bands. Yeah. Right. So, what kind of bands would you have been going to see then? Manchester, in Britain, in, in general, in general, in general, was uh, New Orleans revival jazz. It yeah. was a massive revival in the forties, and I got it. It was still going. <laughs> Do you know what killed it? No. The Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> who, who, who are they? Whatever happened yeah, to them? Exactly. Eh? Exactly. Yeah. I've, I've got to say, listener, that as as Chris and I look across the table towards Howard, sat right behind him above his head is a massive Beatles poster. Oh, Hard day's yeah. night. Yeah. <laughs> well, is... the, the the cabin was initially a lunchtime jazz gig with orange juice only, unlicensed. No, yeah, and it yeah. was full. It was packed, absolutely packed, with people drinking coffee on, on orange juice and, and listening to, to the jazz band. And one of the main bands was a band that still it still exists in name, the Mersey Sippy 
jazz band. Yes, yeah. And still around in name. All the originals have gone now. You did you ever go to the cavern? Once or twice, yeah. Did you? Oh yeah. Well, hang. On. Did you see the Beatles at the cavern? No, no, no. Oh. No, but I can tell you how they got in. Go, oh, please do, please do. <laughs> well, at the interval, it went quiet. All the, the band had gone away to get some drinks. Go out, go out, and nothing happened. And somebody from the Beatles asked if next week they could come in. I don't think they were called the Beatles in those days. The Silver Beatles. Something like that. Yeah. Oh, and the Quarrymen as well. No, oh, that was early still. Yeah. I think they were in um, Germany as the Quarrymen. Right, okay. Uh, so they came in and played an interval, and then in the end they were booked to play the interval. They were booked to play the interval? Yes. <laughs> pay, in other words, on, on pay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then it changed around, and the band was put in in the middle, and the Beatles on either side. Right. And then it went well, even worse. They got rid of the band. Yeah. They did, you know, the trad band. Yeah. So. That's, and that was what, how it grew. So live, then you were going to see, you were going to see the bands uh, as you were, and then you say the Beatles put an end to that. Were the, the Beatles themselves uh, obviously would uh, would tell people that their influence was, you know, from essentially the the black rock and roll musicians, yeah, the blues. you know. Exactly the blues and that. Yeah. Were you ever in in Britain and in the Northwest here? Were you ever fortunate enough to experience that firsthand with those musicians, or or actually was it was it just a step straight from those bands to well, the Beatles? Tr traditional jazz is essentially the blues anyway. Yeah, it grew out of the blues, uh, but there's at the time there were very few, if any, black musicians in Britain. Right, okay. Whereas in okay. New Orleans, yeah. it, it was mixed. Yeah. And he, at some stage in you know, New Orleans, despite segregation, they did get together. Yeah. Uh, but when, when did you start noticing a difference in the music? When you start, when did you start hearing a difference and thinking, hang on, something's changing here? Do you mean uh, uh, the arrival of rock? Yeah. Well, yeah, we, suppose, we were... Yeah. Generally, if you were out on a jazz gig, the, the rockers were on another one, so you didn't come, come across them. Cabaret tended to bring it together. I've been on... Cab when I did, I did lots of cabaret, and you would then be on the bill with a rock group. Mm -hmm. that's, that's really when you, when you got to know... But they were all paid massively higher than we were, you know. Yeah. Why is that? Well, there were names. Um, oh yeah, of course. Yeah, I've never doubled with the Beatles, but uh, that trombonist that on that picture, he he played at the Ritz when the Beatles were on the on this show. They'd be top of the bill, I imagine. Mm. And yeah. he, he 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 said he heard John, the guy that was murdered, John Lennon, yes, shout from the from the dressing room. Where's me shit? <laughs> and Doddy eventually captured that as a as a, 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 a catchphrase. Where's me shit? So that's when we bumped into them, but we didn't perform with them. And did you always? Did you then always just stay with the the sort of your genre of music? Or oh yes, did you, yeah. Still, did did you branch out? It, or? Well, I I preferred a, a bit later period, what they call the the West Coast period of 
much more smooth academic jazz. But nobody played it when I when I was in mid teens. Nobody played it in, in England. So you, you got to play what you got to play. You know? And was that kind of Mulligan, know, kind of Mulligan, Jerry Mulligan, Bob Lee, Lee Connets, yeah, and yeah. Stan Getz? Would you class him? I as, think no as Stan. West Coast? No, he wasn't. He had to be West Coast. Yeah, he came out in the sixties. Yeah, but, Chet Baker oh, and he was a king. Stan Getz was a king. Yeah, without a doubt. Chet Baker was West Coast. Yeah. yeah. Who were your earlier influences musically? Right. Who? Clarinet incident in London called uh, Sid Phillips. Okay. And he had a small band which was so well arranged that it sounded like a big band. Really? Yeah. He's wow. had um, perhaps seven or eight people in it. It was ages before I realised that this wasn't a big band. It was just so well written. Were, were you hearing him on, on, on radio? On the radio, yeah. were you? Yeah. And you were assuming, oh, this is a big band. Yeah. Mm. But they were just filling the gaps so well. So everything was very carefully orchestrated yeah and then it ju just made a big sound out Sid Phillips mm. and did he record a lot oh yeah you find him on there is he right he was my absolute hero at the time I remember I moved well, once I started listening to Voice of America and finding there was a station called the Jazz Hour right Willis Conover Jazz Hour and I, I'm radio amateur I'm an electronics engineer as well you see you know, so that's where the two have gone parallel. That was your that was your day yeah, job. Yeah. Was it? Started off in TV and went into communications, uh, and I used to listen on shortwave uh, to this jazz hour and really took a liking to jazz. And who were the who were the names that you were listening to from across the pond? The names the, 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 the West Coast yeah, guys. Yeah. Well, it, the whole um, whole spectrum of jazz. Yeah. represented well it was two hours actually it was the jazz hour followed by the big band hour so right. you just got two hours of reception was a bit grim sometimes on show yeah. who, who were your favorite big band artists oh uh, so many of them i mean ellington basie um if you don't use the names they go but they, they must have had acres and acres of, of bands in america they call them territorial bands because they used to travel all over the place. Yeah. And uh, one of the bands, I think, was Goodman. They they went a full year without missing a night. That's just the Benny Goodman Orchestra. I think yes, one of that. Are the Goodman or somebody at that level? That's yeah. just crazy. Before before I ask you about travelling with with gigs and where you went and where you've been, I just want to get. I picked up on something earlier, and it was with regards to gig, the mm. word gig. Oh, yes. And you said gig, I yeah. should call it now. Yeah. It was not called a gig No, it's inside. It was for the musicians, but it was inside the last ten years that the young folk picked up this word. They even talk about going to work as going to a gig. And in fact, musicians in New Orleans generally the black ones, didn't get paid, they just played for the hell of playing. Yeah. And if they ever got a paid job with a fee for each of the musicians, they thought it was wonderful, it's God is good. And that's how gig came about. God is oh, good. so that's the story. Gig. Yeah. That, that's the story. I absolutely love that. And I, I suppose we should have known that, seeing as it's, we've only got four words in the name of our podcast and we don't know what one of them means. 
Yeah, yeah that's true. Really? Well, we do know. I, I, I know. You're on the Gig Stories podcast. You're so on the, right. the word gig in our name. <laughs> the God is Good Stories podcast. I think that changes this podcast slightly, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm not sure I'm as well suited. That gives, suited. Me, that gives me a bit of PTSD. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're going to be all right, mate. <laughs> well, people say, um, oh, I'm, I've got a gig, I'm putting a window frame in. The words have been totally hijacked. Ah, yeah. right. So, so back then, you musicians performing, you had a gig. Yes. What would, us as punters, what would we call it? Depends. It could be a concert or... Um, a show recital yeah <laughs> right can you can you remember I'm sort of just jumped back here but ju- just wondering can you remember the first concert or, or whatever you want to call it that your your parents or your mum or that took you yeah, to yeah very clearly oh yeah, right what was yeah. it well, it was a free trade hall in those days it was a big theatre yes it's something else now and they the Halley Orchestra, yeah. which was originally known as as Mr. Halley's Band, right? Was it? <laughs> yeah. They held what they called industrial concerts. The concerts in the middle of the day at low ticket price, so that the less well-off could come and hear the orchestra sing. Was it called Play. that because it was people who worked in industry? I imagine so. Grow, I right? never got the explanation, but I well. I guessed it was um, to get to people who could normally afford the ticket. At, at, yeah. On the, on the night, and it was it was um, the Halley. Yeah. And we went to three of those, and uh, one of them, it was while oh, the composer that wrote the Fire Dance. Stravinsky. No, I've got the wrong. No, that's Firebird. Yeah. Anyway, it was conducted. With his, I think his Hungarian composer was still alive. Yeah. And he was invited to conduct. For the whole concerts, industrial concerts, mm-hmm. and in the middle of it is, a, I think it's called the Nietzsche's Dance, or one of the pieces in it, uh, calls for a saxophone, and saxophones were unheard of in orchestras. Yeah, orchestra. okay, yeah. Today you look at the orchestra, and the clarinet's got a saxophone to his side, but in those, so they had to hire, bring a bloke in to play this particular dance well he didn't sit there and wait for it to come up he, he, when it, he sat it was off after off the scene until it came round so he came striding in with his saxophone in hand and of course <laughs> it, it was just unheard of to see a saxophone with the Halley Orchestra and all the students went saxophone <laughs> they all chanted it because it was outrageous to see the saxophone. Because lots of music students were in there. You know? Yeah. So, so that that was quite a that would have been quite a rock and roll thing then. Sort oh, of thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, having outrageous. The, having the and it was Johnny Roadhouse they brought in. Right. Oh, was it really? Yeah. yeah. What's so, the so, Johnny Roadhouse? Yeah. yeah. So Johnny, you you know where Johnny Roadhouse is on Oxford Road. So jo- Johnny Roadhouse for for listeners is a. It is a very famous music shop oh, yes, in, yeah. in Manchester. Yeah. But Johnny Roadhouse himself he was, a, it, yeah. was a very famous musician, yeah. wasn't he? You want to get his book called The Sax of Gold. Was it? <laughs> sax yeah, of I like gold. that, Sax of Gold. Yeah. So it was saxophone that Johnny was known for playing, oh, yes, was it? Yeah. Yeah. All over the country. Yeah. So, so can we just agree then, gentlemen, that 
saxophonists are show-offs. <laughs> oh, all musicians are show-offs. That, oh, no, no, just, yeah. just saxophonists. Yeah. <laughs> well, kind of, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> oh, of course they are, yeah. So, so where did... Um, where did your playing take you? Did you stay in the northwest, or have you travelled all over? I've played all over Europe. All, all, all over Europe? Oh, all over Europe, yes. Biggest jazz festival, Dresden, uh, Berghaus. I played in uh, Denmark. We went up to Denmark with three gigs to do. And it's so far, you can't fly, you've got to take a lot of gear. And it's so far, you have to have an overnight stay on the German Danish border yeah. and then set off again yeah. and when we get to Denmark Aarhus Aarhus yeah and yeah. of course you know don't yeah, yeah. Uh, we got there one had closed down one had burned down <laughs> 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 so you, you, had, you had one gig one gig because well, that doesn't cover the cost then. no <laughs> oh um, and these gigs when you were travelling what form did this take? What which band well, was this? Where did what did well, you settle into? Most recently, it was a band called the. Uh, my memory's gone. The Old Green River, which is the name of a bourbon whiskey or a, a rye whiskey in America. Right. So we, we, the band needed to pinch that name, and he has a bus, a band bus. So he's had a series of them. Now I don't I don't mean to be rude, Howard, but you said more recently. When does when do you mean by more recently? In the last fifteen years or so. So you've still been playing. In the last fifteen years, I, I played up until just before I should have had my sixtieth anniversary of the gig, and I was ill. And then after that, COVID broke out, and I've not done a gig since. That is incredible. So in 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 the early days when you started, was it in the sixties that yeah. you started touring? Yeah. Oh no, I, traveling rather than touring traveling to outlying towns right. okay. but the touring came take us down, would take us right down to Cornwall to big jazz festivals there or onto into Europe mm. Holland and again was that with that uh, this is with the, in the last 20 17 to 20 years yeah. but I know Oktoberfest was a big oh, well, we had thing for yeah. you did, oh, in Germany a, yes in Munich uh, that was a usually uh, 14 day, 12 to 14 day festival playing in an enormous beer garden called Waldwirtschaft. It sounds like absolute carnage. <laughs> was it? Was no. it carnage? No, was it no. well behaved? No, extremely well behaved. I would tell the truth. No, they were. <laughs> there, was, there was one incident that happened fairly recently with somebody who be, not, won't be named. Chris. Try, no, nobody. No, nobody. <laughs> Trashed a hotel on the Isle of Butte, set a hotel room, but we disowned them for that. No, 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 very well behaved. They're all families. They, uh, no, I'm just thinking, though. Beer you, garden, you've know. got a, a bunch of jazz musicians for 14 days on the trot playing in a beer garden. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's free just beer. a recipe. And free beer. That's, that's why I was saying carnage. You've got an absolute no, recipe no. for disaster there. I, I couldn't blow a raspberry, never mind uh, a note out of a saxophone. <laughs> Right. How how did you how did you juggle a a full time job with with that well musicianship the, the travelling um, I was self employed as an engineer so I could slot things in as a I had a, my own repair business at home so I, that made it very flexible right but it clashed with the job when I was an an employee it definitely clashed with um, with going to Munich how many years did you do that for from 
1988 to, no, 84 to 89 on, on 90. Right. So... I used to know my way to Munich without a map. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Because that was all driving as well, of course, because yeah. you've oh, got yeah. all the instruments yeah. and... Yeah. And how big was the band that you were going across with? Same sort of seven-piece thing. You know. Yeah. So... But on that particular one, we all made our own way there. But with this old Green River band that we travelled on mass. Yeah. I was saying, making your own way, that's a, a, that's tempting fate, isn't it? Did you ever have someone not turn up and you have to play without them? No, but we had a guy who didn't turn up one morning after we'd played the night before. <laughs> <laughs> he, he drowned himself with a German lady. So fortunately, we had a visitor, <laughs> visitor with us who was something of a drummer. He wasn't a brilliant drummer, but he, he was capable. Oh, it just had to be the drummer, didn't it? Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's always the drummer, always the drummer. Yeah. So we just want to ask you a, a, a few questions now. And I, I suppose they're sort of supposed to be quicker questions, but as, as it comes, as it comes. What's your... Do you have a favourite venue? Do you have a favourite venue that you've played at over the years? And it can be... Anyway, I mean, you've told us you've travelled all over the this, place. The uh, Crescent City Brewery, which is a big restaurant in, in New Orleans. So you've actually played in New Orleans? Yes. Yeah, yeah. uh, have you played there yeah. sort of a lot? I'll uh, tell you what's behind that. Uh, I'd taken the instruments over. I didn't get, it wasn't a paid gig, but I, I'd taken the instruments over with the hope of getting a blow. And we found a band, small band playing in this very big restaurant. I went in and I had no instruments with me, they were in the hotel. I said, I'm a sax player from Manchester, any chance of coming out and blow? Yeah, go and get it. I said, no, he said, I'll bring it in tomorrow. Here to yeah, we're here tomorrow night. I'll bring it in tomorrow night. So I did. So I went in and played, uh, do you know what it means to Miss New Orleans, which is real super tune, and, and one or two d very traditional tunes. And then I started putting my sax away. He said, what are you doing? I said, well, when you get sisters in, I know what it's like, you can't get rid of them. Because they won't go away. Because you know, our own bands have sisters in it. Mm. Oh, won't. So I said, I'm not good. Oh, no. He said, he put the sax row back together for me. He said, hey, come on. And I played the rest of the night. <laughs> so you didn't want to impose. Yeah, exactly. As yeah. you knew yeah. other people had imposed on, yeah. on your band, yeah. right? And you say, right, some Fred Smith comes and plays. He said, right, thank you very much, Fred. And you think you take your bow and go, but no, <laughs> carry on playing. Yeah. <laughs> Clear off. So did you get that quite a lot when you were playing? Other musicians come up and saying, can I can Not I so play? much now, but yes, definitely. Yeah. And how did you deal with that? I mean, did you, you ever have, have to... take part a lot. You didn't know what you were going to get. And so have, did, you, did you ever turn down people that you wished afterwards that you had? Well, hadn't... you'd just let them play one tune. Yeah. No, but did you ever say, no, you can't, and then oh, find no, out that, no, no. oh, we should let him play? The, oh, well, there was one case I was telling you about the, the one we were playing at the uh, Tommy Ducks in Manchester. All right, go on. And the lady came up and said, I've got a brother in America, or a cousin, some relative in America. She has a post office in Walden, and he's coming over. Could he come and play with your band? So... I didn't know anything about this, I was told this later. It turned out that the band leader thought, we don't, we don't know the hell it's going to be, no way. She said, he said, I'm sorry, no, we don't, we don't have citizens, we don't, don't, it's not custom for us. It turned out to be 
the guitarist was Stan Getz. Oh. <laughs> oh my God. Charlie Bird. Charlie Bird. Yeah. So this is Charlie that, Bird, spelled B Y R D. Yeah. Yeah, Charlie Bird is... And, and he's oh. just... He's, I, thought, I don't think he's with us now. No. But he was a brilliant player. Oh, boy, was this... <laughs> the one that got away. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> now, you, let me just clarify. That venue that you said to us, the brewery, yeah. is that where you ended up playing all night? Was that Yes, the, yeah. The Crescent City Brewery. And what was what was it about that venue that you, you liked or loved? It's right in the middle of the of the the, uh, the district, what they call the district in New Orleans. It's the centre of where, where it all happened. Yeah. New Orleans, New Orleans is uh, what's it called? The district. I can't remember its name now. Storyville, I think it is. Okay. It's built about twelve feet above water level, so when the river flooded, it rarely got wet. Yeah. But then they started developing the city and building where they shouldn't have built, and that's right. that's where they, they get the floods. Yeah, for for a saxophonist, this sounds like a random question. Are there certain um, architectural things that make a, a venue sound better? Oh yeah. So, so yeah. do you have a, you know a, a, a favourite venue that you prefer because? The sound, you know, yeah. the sound. What, what are well, those things um, then? The Masonic Hall in Manchester has got a great big dome, right? And so it reflects. And if you stand in the focal point of this this reflector, yeah. you can make some terrific sounds. You can't hear it outside; it doesn't sound any different outside. But when you're underneath it, it sounds dynamite. Yeah, it's still playing there. Yeah. And so, what about your worst venue? Oh. What about a venue that you just... Right. Um, we'd been playing in Munich to 4,500, 5,000 people. What? And we came back to, to place in Blakely and played for 45 people. <laughs> <laughs> and that was a big night for them, 45 people. Yeah. yeah. So it wasn't so much the actual venue, it was the fact that you it just played to 4,500 yeah. people in Munich. Well, what, was, what was that? What, it was that, big, that, big, Munich, that was a big was garden. The, what the beer that yeah yeah so the, the the band is on stage in front yeah. of an entire garden of beer but the yeah but the garden was it's a beer garden it's enormous it's a forest it valvierstaff means the inn in the forest i didn't know it was four and a half thousand people yeah. well it was so busy that the, the people around the place were complaining because the car parking was dynamite the people would park a mile away and walk and it was a very, very wealthy district. So they got up in arms and complained to the local commanderat, the uh, council. So the council came in uh, and put a, down a ruling that they should reduce the seating. So they, they wouldn't have four and a half thousand. So they did reduce the seating, but four and a half thousand people still came, but just stood up. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. They're not damn. They're not damn. That sounds like parking a mile away from Heaton Park so I can get in and see New Order the other yeah, week. <laughs> but in Dresden, they had the thing that had previously been an amphitheatre. And that had 7.5 thousand in it. And you've, I've got a picture somewhere. Oh, we'll have, we'll have a look at that I'll show picture. you that later. Yeah, we'll put, we'll put any, any images up on the website as right. well. 
Well, the, but this place, uh, it was full, except for some reason, we never got to the bottom, the tiered seats, and there was one row, was an end seat down, each one empty, <laughs> so we complained. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> no, we didn't complain. What are they empty for? Come rows on. and rows and rows and rows of them, and all, uh, all the way down to the bottom, there was one end seat empty. No, no, Just in case. Yeah, well, I don't know. I love that. Late, Bill, but... I love that. B.B. King's Club in, oh, right, in, yeah, Memf yeah. in Memphis. Have you played there? No, I, I played across oh. the road in a, in a restaurant called The Italian Fisherman. Right. But then we, when we'd finished, um, he said, where are you going now? I said, well, we're going to try and get in B.B. King's. He said, you'll never get in, it's packed. Yeah. Hello, I've got two guys, four guys coming over to, they let us in. Oh, gave, really? us, gave us a piece of paper to go in. And, and I didn't did, play there, no, no. But you were actually, can you remember who you saw there? Just top Americans who were unknown to me, but top player. Okay. The, the brilliant sax player there, I mean, he was absolutely dynamite. And he was big as a house, and I said to him, I got chatting to him, I said, you know, you should be on baritone. He said, I had one, but it was stolen in London. Oh, <laughs> no. So he was waiting for the insurance company to cough up, but because it, it was stolen out of the country, they weren't paying, but he was some player, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, um, favourite players to, uh, to, to see oh, Ryan? I've played, well, played here with um, Ernie Tomasso from London, Jim Douglas out of the Alex Welsh Band, Digby Fairweather who used to do yeah. jazz on the radio, perhaps he still does. Yeah, was he Radio 3 I think? Possibly, yeah. yeah. Um, Kenny Baker I played with. Yeah. Alan Barnes, Danny Moss, oh, I, I, I listened to Danny Moss, I didn't play with him. Tommy Whittle from Glasgow. Yeah. You remember him? Yeah, yeah. And you played with him? Well, just, you wind up on a gig and uh, he'll come in and sit in or, you know, if you get somebody like that asking to sit in, you don't turn them down. No, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> so you bump into people. I mean, there's there's a band on the Wirral and uh, a venue on the Wirral rather that brought all sorts of big names. And we played in a small club in, just off off the Wirral and this club sent their musicians to play with us every time they got just to, to give them another gig before they went home you yeah know? so I got to play with all sorts of people that uh, mm. name name players you know yeah I played with Humphrey uh, no, no I'm not played with Hump uh, I thought you were going to say Humphrey Littleton yeah well I've, I've not played with him I've, 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 I've seen, seen him play but uh, the guy that's just trombonist has just died he had. Um, well, think about that one if we if we remember. Will Bill Ball and three Bs, weren't they? Don't let us down, Chris. 
No, no repentance. Yeah, love that. Brilliant. <laughs> they get to, uh, get to graffiti, but it's educated graffiti. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's allowed. You're allowed that. No, I, I don't know if I've mentioned before. I probably have. I've mentioned most things. Um, that one of my favourite ever gigs was Charlie Mingus Big Band yeah. um, in Manhattan. Yeah. Um, and you must have mentioned that. It was incredible. Absolutely. He, he incredible. didn't like uh, white men playing jazz. Really? He didn't say they can't do it, but they've, they've got their own music and they should play it. Right. They, they're good at playing orchestral stuff, you were saying. Yeah, yeah. He didn't uh, resent them playing, but he didn't think they should play. But jazz wasn't exclusively black. Yeah. It wasn't, I mean, the invention of jazz was a combined effort, you know, black and white. You know. Yeah, well, I mean, Joplin was, was yeah. kind of instrumental in that yeah. as well, and a bit of Gershwin as well. So, yeah. I mean, it's. Um, well, we're, we're nearly at the end, Howard. This has been lovely. I really know, enjoyed this. I this. <laughs> um, so, I mean, the last question is something that we ask all our guests, and it's um, either a live album that you can recommend, one that we should just go to before any others, or if there's a clip of, um, you know, a band or an right. artist playing live on a, on a YouTube video, what would well, you recommend? I would say go on YouTube and stooge around. Yeah. It's just a watch with all the best. It's hard to say an album because you don't know people's tastes. Yeah. Right? But my, my undoubtedly my favourite album is Stan Getz with, with um, Charlie Bird. Charlie Bird the, the, the first bossa nova thing that came out because it, yeah. it was a, a um, disc on a vinyl disc. Yeah. Originally. It's on, it's so for, for someone like me then, is that a good starting oh, point? Because right. I'm, I'm, I'm well, not a big jazz fan per right, se, well, I don't know. It's very easy jazz. on the ear, it's very okay. comfortable on the ear. But to be honest, most jazz musicians developed in the same direction and pace as jazz itself developed. They started off liking really simple New Orleans stuff, and just as jazz progressed, so does their taste. Yeah. So it's difficult to say what... It, do you want it as a historical thing and learn a lot, mm. or do you want to pick out your favourite dish? Well, I think you've you've chosen an absolute cracker there. Oh, right? yeah. 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 There's one on it called Samba These Days. Not some of these days, which is a tune. Yeah. But Samba, Samba these, these days. days. Yeah. I definitely want to check that out. Yeah. Do you know what? I'm I, I'm I'm interested, and I'm Chris. I'm going to break the Gig Stories podcast rule here because we normally finish with that question. And um, I, I do want to ask, uh, the, the, you, you've mentioned so many musicians there, wonderful musicians. Which of them haven't you seen live that you would desperately love to see oh, live? I would love to see Benny Goodman, because I've seen Stan Getz. They're, they're all ranked. Once you get up the top, you can't pick out. They're all ranked. I mean, there's some are rank, <laughs> but uh, no. Once you get to the top, and there's so many, the names disappear. And I was in the workshop once at, when I was working for British Gas as an engineer, uh, electronics engineer, and there was some music playing. They said, "Oh, that's um, that's Louis Armstrong on trumpet." And this guy said, "How do you know it's Louis Armstrong?" I said. <laughs> He's, I just know his style. He said, I, 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 I would have been hard pressed to tell that it was a trumpet, this problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when you get, when you've been immersed in it, you, you, you can't find a favourite. Yeah. And do you know what? 
I don't know if this question is answerable, and we'll, we'll finish on this. After 82 years, are you able to explain your relationship with music and what it, what it means uh, to you? I never agree with people for having a visual impression of it. For instance, Greg's Morning Suite. It doesn't say, I like the music, beautiful, but it doesn't suggest morning to me. <laughs> yeah. uh, the tune Skylark. Yeah. It's a knockout tune and the mm -hmm. lyrics are superb. But uh, I don't get a mental impression of a Skylark. There is one called, uh, I don't know who wrote it, called a lark rising. Lark rising, yeah. Now that does. Just yeah. very few do to me. That's fantastic. Yeah. You know the one. Is it, yeah, the yeah, yeah. Is it classical? Yes. The yeah, lark, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I think um, lark ascending. 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 Yeah, yeah. yeah. lark Sorry. ascending, yeah. Uh, it's Vaughan Vaughan Williams. Vaughan Williams. It is indeed, yeah, yes. Yeah. So what so that's what you don't, but what is what is your personal relationship with music what well, is it's, your it's the ultimate um, unapproachable you can't indescribable it's, it's just it's there it happens and uh, what what do they call the kind of painting that you don't as opposed to representative that's abstract abstract that's the word mm -hmm. uh, yeah it's, to me it's the ultimate abstract art because it's not telling you anything it's just fabulous sounds and very often sounds are only nice because they followed something else, a chord. So that's a fabulous, well, it's just B flat minor seventh with that is nice, but it's where it came from. Yeah. The change, almost a change in colour. I love that. I love that. Howard, <laughs> thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Really, really appreciate it. And here's hoping that you get to play some more gigs. Yeah, well, uh, once I get this foot sorted out see it's not the playing it's the carrying the equipment in and out to the gigs well Chris has promised me that he'll carry all your equipment to all your gigs <laughs> well, I better get some more practice <laughs> with my back <laughs> and when he does that I'll be sat in the front row Howard thank you so much thank, thank you, you. What a great chat. Thank you, Howard. And also, today is Friday, if you're listening to it on the day that this podcast goes out. And today is actually Howard's... Happy birthday to you. Happy 82nd birthday. birthday. Happy birthday, Howard, if you're Happy listening birthday, to this. Mate. And yeah. thank you, thank you. This is your birthday present to us. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't work doesn't does it no, no it really doesn't. doesn't work honestly um, i i was really conscious of of time when we were doing that interview and um i could have been there for another two three three hours and if he cracked out the whiskey we could have been there all night oh no yeah absolutely absolutely one thing i was going to say was um mm. so at the start of the 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 chat um, we got this photo out, and I'll, I'll put it on the website. Oh, yes. Yeah. So that was New Year's Eve 
1959, which was his first gig. Brilliant, that. I love that picture. The first time I ever played with Howard was... Was in 1960? No, it was New Year's Eve, 1999. It was on Millennium Eve. No way. Yeah, so um, his daughter, my wife, Colette, she sang and... My um, wife. My wife. And he he was... um, it was his his band and and i i played so we were at warrington golf club on millennium eve you spent millennium eve at warrington golf club yeah i i love that yeah absolutely keeping it real mate where where did you all spend your millennium eve i'd like to know actually that'd be quite interesting yeah yeah that's that's a good point actually because i would like to know if anyone was at any gigs on were there gigs going on or were they just these kind of ridiculous celebrations going on or what? are you taking the mick well what where was, was i on? where, where was you? i in the millennium stadium yeah what was going on there i don't know i was at warrington golf club <laughs> they didn't have broadband <laughs> am i going to know what's on at millennium stadium i was hanging out with nikki sean and james Oh, you were at the Manix. Manic, oh, right, Manic okay. Millennium, yeah. Oh, is that what it... Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I I know of uh, quite a few big, a few big ones uh, that were going on. And if I, if I remember correctly, there was a big night in London where I think um, the Prodigy bought in the new year. And I'll be honest, that that's probably where... No, I, I had a great time the Mannix course mm. but if I could have seen anyone else I'd have seen the prodigy uh <laughs> in New Year's Eve but no I love that that's 40 years that um since he played his first gig and he he was playing it with his favorite son-in-law eh? <laughs> oh. Oh. yeah exciting news and you've got depending on when you listen to this you've either missed it or, or you've got two days You've got two days or hours to prepare. So as part of Tim Burgess's Vinyl Adventures Manchester on Sunday, the 5th of December, we will be hosting a live episode of the podcast at the Deaf Institute. Get in. Deaf Institute in Manchester. And at half past two, we have none other than the man himself, the writer and creator of the theme tune to the Gig Stories podcast, Mr. James Holt. He's going to be performing some acoustic tracks and then following him at approximately three o'clock, Chris and I shall wander on the stage as we have a chat with our very special guest, which is Chris long fella tony walsh tony walsh amazing amazing poet amazing man and is i think he's actually already a legend in manchester isn't he yeah and And if not surely we give him the freedom of the city or something he he should have that already shouldn't he well i was looking at um i i noticed that i'd contacted him before clint boone's episode went out mm, about him coming right. on the podcast so um that's right we, we've been trying to get him on the pod for 
ages and ages and long ages. time long time um but and also i keep on bumping into him in heaton park when i'm walking the dog and he's he's just out having a wander and um with his wife and and he talks about music all the time music is obviously a massive part of his life he started going to gigs in the late 70s and went through loads and loads of different styles and loads of venues and has seen some amazing gigs so this is going to be a great chat I, it feels like I'm, I'm introducing the 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 podcast because we don't actually know when we're going to be putting this this podcast out if you can make it along to the recording that would be fantastic so like alex said come along for for james holt um and there are loads of other things going on in town as well but james holt at deaf institute at half past two we're on at three o'clock we might even have james playing our intro live i mean good luck I mean, to him doing that on yeah, five it, six different instruments <laughs> yeah exactly but well, we'll see we'll see but also there's lots going on um with uh final adventures all over Manchester and Greater Manchester, in Bury, in Altrinum. Piccadilly Station. Yeah, Piccadilly Station, Freight Island, 33 Oldham Street, uh, all the record stores. Uh, Royal Gorilla. Exchange, I think. Yeah, Royal Exchange. On the trams. So Tim Burgess's voice is currently uh, voicing the trams, which is just incredible. What a lovely touch by Transport Greater Manchester. So come and join us. And just come and join the fun. My my daughter's really excited. She's got a camera ready, and we'll be spending uh, Sunday in town. Oh, and it's free as well. That's what yeah. I keep on meaning to say. It's free. Yes, yeah, free. Just tip up. And there's oh, oh man, if you are a vinyl junkie, I don't think I can even say. I don't think it's been announced. There is a massive announcement of a vinyl release that you will absolutely want to get your hands on massive um and i can't i can't say uh anything such but, a cheese you're such i was gonna say you're such a cheese no you're such a tease i am a cheese i am and you're a, tease. a cheese yeah. I'm a cheesy tease um, um so that's that's vinyl adventures and even if you can't make it along on sunday we'll be recording it so it will be an episode we'll maybe have a little bit of of james's music on that episode as well and so yeah don't panic yeah this is our first live so yeah brace yourselves um and um so i can't finish the episode without talking to you alex about an encounter you had with a rather special musician yeah um so that's I mean, our I, time I had, up you you were in yorkshire you were in yorkshire yeah. and you were at my uh, mum She's yeah. calling me for my tea. So you were That's at a petrol station. You were on your way to a Christmas okay. light switch on because obviously you were doing your CBB's um, um, <laughs> plunger. I had, my, I had my CBB's hat on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I, we have spoken a couple of times about when we've met famous people. And more often than not, it's I don't you. say anything. No. <laughs> um, what? I'm the famous person, or I mean? <laughs> no, it's you meeting a famous person. And more often than not, I don't say anything, and without sounding like an idiot. That's partly habitual, you know. 
because of my previous life as CBB host and the fact that I still work immediately and see all kinds of people and could get very carried away. But, but my, I was, I was really tested the other night and um, I still regret my wife and I, we came out of Shepherd's Bush tube station, um, however many years ago, not, not forever ago, and stood there literally looking lost, bless her, on her own, was Nena Cherry. And I, li- I, I died. I absolutely died. I could hardly move. And my wife was just going, why don't you come say hello? I'm like, oh, I can't, I can't, I can't. Anyway, 10 minutes later, I still didn't. I walked away and she was gone. And do I regret it? Maybe. But yeah, I do. I wish I'd said hello, but I, you just got to leave people as well. So as I'm driving out of Weatherby service station on the M62, you know, so it's always a nightmare getting out of service stations. There's always a long route, isn't there? And you always have to pass the trucks and then the petrol station, and then you're back onto the motorway. Well, Walking through the truck bit towards the petrol station, I can just see two blokes. And I slow down at a giveaway, giveaway sign. And I look to my right. <laughs> and good job the window wasn't down. I just exclaim, oh my gosh, it's Paul Weller. It's Paul Weller. And I've got the three kids and my wife in the car. It's Paul Weller. So I have the reaction a varied reaction from the back. Who's Weller? Who's Paul Weller? Who's Paul? Who's Paul? Who is he, Dad? Who is he? You know, very loud. And my wife's saying, just say hello. And they go, no, 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 no. Let's just carry on driving. She went, you never say anything. You will regret it. Say something. And I'm, oh, I can't do that. And as I'm saying that, <clears throat> I'm, I'm winding the window down, or I'm at least pressing the electric button comes down and there there six seven foot away from me was Paul Weller and I said Paul and then I blew him a kiss and said love you and then quickly drove off. <laughs> Let's hear it now. Paul love you. God, you oh can my hear. God. You can hear the kiss I blow him. Paul, uh, love you. <laughs> yeah, love you. It was higher than that, mate. Love you. I love you, Paul. <laughs> love you. <laughs> I love the jam too. <laughs> oh my God. And I've always wanted to style the council. <laughs> so. I uh, was it the same night or maybe the night before I was at home not not home no the art center in Manchester and I was, I was photographing for them and it was the premiere of this new film um a documentary about Brian Robson go on get in Robbo and I didn't really know who was going to be there that night um but then I was and I was luckily I wasn't having to be part of the scrum who were photographing on the red carpet I was photographing for home um so i could there was a a lot of leeway in what i could you could do what you want yeah well i was photographing the venue as a venue which worked really well as a a premier site for a a, you know 
for a film. Oh, well, so. I didn't turn up, did he? No, but everyone else <laughs> Brian Robson was there, obviously. It was his film. Yeah, and, I'm very jealous. Um, Wayne Rooney was there and um, uh, Michael Carrick, the new, well, interim Man United manager. and No um, longer. No longer. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, there, but um, then Gaza turned up and I was like, oh, bloody hell, Gaza. Uh, yeah, and Gaza. I, I I love Gaza, even though he's you know I'm not a massive fan. Well, I'm really not a fan of Rangers Football Club, but that's neither here nor there. Um, Doesn't but, matter though, does but it? But I, I do have a soft. I've got a soft spot for Newcastle, um, and um, and but I thought he was an incredible player, and so, he, he's one of the greatest footballers of our time. Yeah, absolutely incredible, and Hands you know. Down. Everything that he's gone through and um, stuff that he's overcome, and and bless, he was looking well. He was looking all right, and you know he was, he was on the coke, and he was, I mean, the Coca Cola, sorry. Um, and he was, it, you know, Brilliant. he just looked healthy. He was taking, it looked like he was taking care of himself. And um, but yeah, so I, I, I was being really professional because I, um, I wasn't going up to people and saying, "Can I take your portrait?" You know, "Can I take a quick photo for?" I was just, I was being professional, but I, I did go up and say, Paul, do you mind if I, I just want to shake your hand? You're um, big fan of your, and, no, um, no, 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 don't, don't you dare. That's all, that's what did all. you say? So you shook his hand and what did you say? I said, hi, Paul, don't want to bother you too much. So I just wanted to shake your hand. I was a, a big fan of your, your, your playing and I'll let you enjoy your night. That was it. And then he said, "Want to shake your hand?" That's it. That's all. That's all. That was that was it. I think that's fair enough. And and I made it very clear that I didn't want to disturb him too much. And he was on his own anyway. So he's like, "Did you blow him a kiss?" No, I didn't. But he did did say, "You love him." No, I didn't. Um, But he he did say, "Do you want to take my picture?" I was like, "Yeah, okay." So I took his picture, and then I walked away. That's how you do it, Alex. (laughs) So how? (laughs) <laughs> how, how did what so what should I have wanged my arm out the window? Uh, Paul, I'd just like to shake your hand. You should have at least gone for a high five. <laughs> Imagine high five in Weller. Weller doesn't high five. No way. I bet Weller doesn't. But the, the 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 other funny thing. Sorry, I was just going to say. So this place home downstairs got really busy, really mobbed. And and everyone was there, you know. There was like Sam Allardyce and Ron Atkinson and oh my uh, gosh, Darren all the Fletcher and yeah, yeah, um, yeah, all the wrongins were there. Um, <laughs> but then I was trying to get past because I needed to get out to photograph um, the red carpet again because I think there was some. I think Sir Alex was just arriving. Oh, yeah, but, but so, but I couldn't. I couldn't get past these two guys in the in the. Uh, in the bar and so i had to walk around them and as i was walking around them i saw who they were bear in mind i couldn't get past these two guys they weren't talking to each other they had their backs to each other and they were talking to other people but i couldn't get physically past them and i realized that it was steve bruce and gary pallister (laughs) no I, i physically couldn't get past them so <laughs> to this day to this they, day they still won't let people pass them <laughs> but it just it made me laugh out loud to myself that i couldn't get past steve bruce and gary pallister 
Anyway, that is yeah. absolutely brilliant. And I've saved that story <laughs> to tell you just now because I know you're a United fan. Um, that is amazing. It was. Funny. I loved that team. I loved that team. Pallister and Bruce. Ah. Oh. Yeah. So anyway, so, that, that was funny. So please. <laughs> this is the Gig Stories podcast, share, by the way. <laughs> share, share with us the embarrassing times you've met famous people just to make me feel better. If it's music related, great. If it's football related, just as great. So, uh, yeah, share them with us. And, you know, as always, say hello, keep in contact with us, send us your pictures, your ticket stubs and uh, and pictures from gigs that you're going to. And you can find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at Gig Stories Pod. And we will be back very soon with another episode. We've only got two more before Christmas. Oh, craziness, yeah. craziness. And our Christmas one is a belter. It's a belter. And be aware that the Christmas one might not go out on a Monday as usual, but obviously this nope. one's going out on a Friday. So, um, <laughs> on your but, toes. Yeah, things are all up in the air. Exactly. Um, and one last thing again, happy birthday, Howard. Happy birthday, Howard. And we'll see you next time on the Gig Stories podcast. Bye for now. Bye.